And so in this morning we kind of reflected on the importance and the value of connecting with our heart, with a sense of our caring, finding ways to express it and to share it with each other. This is something fundamental, I think, something important for us in engaging with the circumstances of our our world, our lives, our own situations that are of concern, that are in need of our response, we could say. That sense of just starting from the place of connecting with what we care about and expressing that, sharing that, recognizing that caring goes both towards what we care about that we value and appreciate that maybe we're distant from or that is in danger, that is being harmed in some way and how painful and distressing that can be to feel apart from, distant from what we love and care for and how painful it is it to see what we care for, what we value being harmed. And we've also just reflected on this morning what it means for ourselves to let ourselves feel the caring of our heart for what we appreciate, for what we love, for what we value and are grateful for. And it's important that we also turn towards this, to nourish ourselves, to sustain ourselves, and sometimes to remember, to visualize, to recall and reconnect with inspiring beings, beautiful locations, beloved friends, family, partners, others. And to allow ourselves to also know about the action of other people who have contributed in larger and in smaller ways to the well-being of the world, to be inspired and touched by expressions of love, of courage, of integrity in the face of what may be suffering and hard to bear, what may be human-caused suffering. So that as well as engaging with the human potential for blindness, and I use that word habitually and I'm trying to edit it out, but I keep using it. So I just want to say sorry, that's not the right word because it's being used in a way to describe something problematic. And for some people, it's simply the nature of their experience, that they don't see visual images of light. And so what I want to say is unconsciousness, the effect of unconsciousness, unawareness. the effect of greed and hatred and delusion born of that. As well as seeing that and opening to that, it's so important that we equally see and open to the courage and the beauty, to the wisdom and compassion expressed in smaller and larger ways. And just noting how we were touched to hear from each other of both what we cared about and were concerned as to 
the situation of, and equally what we cared about and valued, appreciated, and were grateful for the presence of in our life and in our world. And how part of what that does is bring us together. We feel our commonality and it helps address and break down the, the fundamental delusion at the heart of the issue, as I would say, which is the, the misconception of separation, of apartness, that there is that which is other than what is this. Although, of course, life is expressed in many forms and ways. But fundamentally, the Dharma teachings point to the emptiness of that separation, to the non-existence of separate existence. Not to non-existence, but to the non-existence of it something that is separate or separable. And so we can just notice again what these themes bring to us and that you know the frame that the buddha spoke about with this of of loving kindness metta that we care to notice that we care because we do and if we look at others we might see that they care too the caring might be very narrowly expressed or defined so I just care about me. And we might not feel so good about hearing someone who says, and seems quite happy to say, I just care about me. Everyone else can care about themselves. But actually, that's where their care has gone, and it is a, a foolishness that has led to the belief that that is the way to be happy, rather than evidence of some kind of complete absence of ethical sensitivity it's a lack of wisdom in fact ultimately that leads to that view I'll just take care of me and mine but the care is still there and it's important to see that it's not a lack of care it's a lack of connection so when we hear that I think that helps for me at least when I frame it that way, to allow my heart also to open to and care for those who don't seem to care. For Mary, very much more than a very small and narrowly prescribed or circumscribed subset of what's here, which we could call everything or life or, or just this. And in the feeling of that caring, there's a natural sensitivity that we come into contact with. When our caring, we focus on the, the sometimes appearance of uncaringness, and it's definitely a limitation in caring. That's true. And of course, if we look at ourselves, we'll see that, yeah, I've got some of those too. It's easier for me to care here than there. And naturally, for my close family, in some ways, I care more, let's be honest, than for someone far distant from me. But we maybe don't make the 
understandable and in a sense at the same time foolish error of not caring at all for that which is further from us. Because as we reflected this morning, no matter what the appearance of distance might be, that does not equate to there being a boundary. That no matter how far out we might look, what is there is actually still part of what is here. Is not separate from, in a sense, that is not separate from this. When we close our eyes and settle in to this, what we're asked to do in meditation is include all of what we call that. And as we learn to do so, we find in the end that the quality of this becomes rich and full and blessed by not resisting, nor yet identifying with, ultimately, all of that. And as we find that, there's a tenderness, a softness that starts to become possible for us because the hardening of nobody cares or they don't care enough or don't care very skillfully or I don't care enough or I don't care very skillfully. The hardening born of, a, again, a misguided judging, criticizing and closing down to begins to drop away and we feel the tenderness of our human heart. And that's not an easy thing to feel, at least initially. It's scary and it's challenging. But to not feel it is more deeply painful in the end. And as we feel that tenderness, and the Buddha talked about this, this sort of that sense of caring, metta. It's like care. We just care. We do. Born of appreciation and valuing and gratitude for, we care about our loved ones, our world. We feel, we're sensitive. And the Buddha, the word he used, anakampati, to tremble, the heart's trembling. It's like there's something in us, and not just the physical heart, but the, the heart of what it is to be an alive, conscious, sensitive being trembles in the presence of what we love, sweetly trembling when it is well and close, and painfully trembling when it is distant or endangered. This is our sensitivity. Without it, we don't really live. And so much of practice is to bring us back to our sensitivity. That our habits and our both deeply embedded survival, biological survival patternings, and much of the world around us do not support or encourage us to be in touch with. Because it's actually not about our physical survival. Sometimes it's better not to have to feel things from that point of view. But from the point of view of our spiritual survival, 
without this, we're in big trouble. And that big trouble is part of the trouble of the world. So we feel the sensitivity. And from that sensitivity, quite naturally, then there's the wish to respond, to help, to heal, to repair, to end the harm. Whether it be the harm of our own personal wounding, whether it be the harm that we see expressed in our communities as exclusion or oppression, whether it be the harm we see in the world, in the, the ecology, and the, the natural systems that we call climate and planet. It's a natural response from the sensitivity to the responsiveness. In the same way that when we, let it, when we feel something hurting in our body, we naturally want to just my, my knee is aching, I, I want to rub my knee. Of course, naturally. It's, it's not my hand, I'm being a noble hand here, I think I'll rub that poor knee. It's, it, it looks quite different, it does different things, but it knows it's not separate from the knee. And it just goes, huh, and you're sore. Someone's been sitting on you for half a day. Actually, this knee's not sore, but sometimes it is. Even when it's not sore, it quite likes being rubbed. And my hand quite likes rubbing it if I pay attention. It's like, oh, that's nice. I think my hand's getting more out of it my knee right now. <laughs> and yet that's just a way of talking about it, isn't it? Because actually it's my heart that's liking it, really. And so there's that sense of seeking to heal, to repair, to transform. And at the same time, there's this recognizing of wanting to, to honor, to celebrate, to appreciate, to allow ourselves to feel the uplift. Because there's a kind of, sometimes a heaviness for us and turning towards what's difficult, to feel the uplift of what is beautiful, what is blessed, what is lovely, and how important this is. And, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, if there's all this bad news, how can I be happy? But it's like, we, it's not about how can I be happy, it's like, we may or may not feel happy, but how can we not or turn towards, or how can it make sense to turn away from what we love? Because there's also that which we are distressed by or terrified of in the world. It's like we need to do this. And so again, practice here is about supporting and guiding ourselves, even when part of us says, no, I don't want to do that. Because another part of us, a deeper part of ourself, has made our commitment to our life, to live it as well as we're able. And so this kind of quality of mudita, of appreciative enjoyment, of finding uplift in the goodness of the world that we can celebrate. Because the newspapers will never report the neighbor who gave a cake to their neighbor. They will report every time when one neighbor hits the other one with a stick. And I caught my mind from wanting to use the image that comes to me as a frying pan. And it's an image from patriarchy because it's putting a woman with a frying pan in that situation. So I just want to name that because I'm embedded in that culture. 
where the image that comes to me of a neighbor striking another neighbor is actually one that would be attributed to a woman, most likely. And the reality is that that's almost never what's actually going to happen if one neighbor strikes another. So it's like, whoa, even sitting here talking to you, I'm trying to work with that material and imperfectly. But nonetheless, that's what we do. And the point of the, <laughs> the piece there was that we need to pay attention to the beautiful and the goodness and the many kind things that take place in our days. Because they're there. And the fact that our biological evolutionary training is to notice that the tiger and not the apple tree is something we have to work with. Because, yeah, the apple tree will still be there. If you don't spot the tiger, you're dead. So you're looking for it. But if you spend your whole life looking for the tiger, and you can't stop to actually enjoy the fact that something produces these sweet, juicy, round, lovely things and just offers them, how amazing. And yeah, okay, there's things that might eat me too, but does the apple think that way about me? Is the apple going, it's a human being, it's a human being. Oh no! Gone. No, it's not the apple's experience, I don't imagine anyway. But it is mine in relationship to what might eat me. Or might harm my world. So what we also were invited to do here is to find our deeper ground in a world in which we are born and will die. We are born and will die. This is for sure for us all. We know this. Everything here that has come will also come to an end. This very planet too. It will not be forever. Even if we suddenly all human beings turned out to be enlightened and we did all the right things forevermore, this planet too would not survive. Eventually the sun will either cool down and this biosphere will freeze or it will explode and this biosphere will cook. That's a bit further down the track, according to the scientists, than what's in front of us right now, which may be in the next well, actually it's in this generation. But just seeing that, oh, this is the nature of all things. My job cannot be to stop this happening. Because it's going to happen. Sooner or later, all things end. It's not a question of how long we're here. As me, a human being, or humanity as a species, or warm-blooded, furry, mammalian existence, as opposed to the the rule of the, uh, I don't know, the insects or the whatever might come after in different conditions. It's not about how long we're here. It's about how we're here for the time that we're here. It's about what? How we are here. What is it that this here-ness is being filled with for however short or long it continues? This is the context of upekka equanimity, to understand things are not in my control, but they are unfolding according to laws and principles. And so I can influence them. I can make a difference here, but I cannot control the outcome. And this is what the Dharma teachings point us 
to contemplate the suchness of life. It's like this. It has the beautiful and the blessed and the deeply distressing and tragic woven together in it and has always and will always have this. And what makes sense of it all is understanding that in the midst of that, we can find the ground of where we are, that is this, that is now, that is here, and we can respond, respond to the world, which sometimes gets in our way, but at the same time is helping, or trying to. We can respond to it, to see what difference we can contribute towards what we care about. So finding some peace in the midst of opening our heart to the beauty and the tragedy, to the blessed and the horrific, is in this territory of, okay, this seems to be how it is. What's possible here for me? To open my heart where it's closed is a good work to do. If I do nothing else in this life, and even if it only just opens a little, that will be a worthy thing to have done with my life. If I can step up and step out into the world and help some others do the same, that will also be a worthy and a good thing. And the two ways we might do this will be to care for what we care about and supporting others who do that, and to say no or stop in relationship to where we see harm. To step up, stand up and step up in that context. And this is what we do in meditation. We notice, ah, here's all these unskillful habits of my mind. Let's see if I can not just have my mind keep running off into these patterned habits of reactivity and just keep bringing it back to somewhere simple and steady and calm-ish, which is here and now. And we have to actually really say no when my mind wants to go and think about the result of the important sports game happening this afternoon. I'm sure there is one that we're not watching right now. Fortunately, the important sports game for me happened this morning. The New Zealand women's rugby team. Sorry about that, you folk, if you were following it. Um, if you don't know the result, I won't tell you. But. And my mind would be, might be interested in such, so it is okay. But actually more interested in something more fundamental than that. And sometimes we need to say stop in here. And sometimes that same practice is what we need to say in our world. Stop. I see what I see is not helpful. In fact, it may be harmful. Stop. That Buddha next door to you is... I'll get there. Stop. I'll get there. But yes, you're right. You spotted it. Bit of a giveaway, wasn't it? Yeah. And equally, of course, there's the sense of, so how do I nourish and nurture what 
What is the value in this world that I care about, that I wish for there to be more of? How do I provide support for that? And in ourselves, we, in the inner practice, it's, oh, okay, can I connect with kindness? I see that that's actually good for me. Makes me feel better. I cultivate kindness because actually, not just does it, is it a nice sort of thing to do, but actually I feel happier when there's kindness in my heart. It's a, a self sort of serving thing, you know. I think one could call it enlightened selfishness when we realize that actually caring more and more for others and everything actually leads to our own happiness and well being. And expressing that again, finding ways. So these Dharma teachings ask us to engage in the process of transformation. And if we understand that what we call me, here, this, or inner, is not in any ultimate or absolute way separate from what I call that, you, or other, then these two processes must be woven together. And they may, of course, have times where we emphasize one or the other. But in doing so, not forgetting the wholeness of what this involves. <laughs> 